to the next episode of so-called oreos podcast i'm amari pollard one of your co one of your is a co-host co-host one of your hosts <laughs> just say host <laughs> and i never know what to say I'm and i am here with shit i forgot to introduce <laughs> us last episode i'm kia y'all um i'm janae hey y'all i'm rachel oh that was cute rachel <laughs> It was cute, but sorry for that messy ass intro, guys. <laughs> we'll do better next time. At least time. you did the intro. <laughs> Shit, I forgot. <laughs> True, at least you did it. Um, so, Kia, you just want to start us off? Let's dive into this week in Black history. Okay. January 27th, 1952, Ralph Ellison's powerful novel, Invisible Man, won the National Book Award. And January 31st, 1963, Jane Baldwin's influential collection of essays, The Fire Next Time, was published. It kind of is related to the topic that we will discuss later. This week uh, in Black Professionals We Love, I want to, I'm going to butcher her name, I'm sorry. I want to highlight Vanessa Nakate. Let's just say that. Um, So Vanessa is a climate change activist based out of Africa, but more specifically Uganda. She and her fellow activists have been protesting for over a year now to raise awareness around climate change in Africa and around the world. Uh, She founded the Rise Up Movement, which has representatives across several African countries, um, I really think it's important to highlight her because there are a lot of young black and brown people who have been screaming about climate change for years, way before the world knew who Greta Thun- Thunberg, I can never say her name either, um, was. And I think it's about time we listen, especially because uh, socioeconomics has put many black and brown people in positions to be most heavily impacted by climate change. Uh, so I think it's important that we pay attention to this. You know, last week we talked about resolutions. Our last episode, we talked about about resolutions. Um, and I didn't mention it on the episode, but one of my goals is to actively um, readjust my daily habits to help, you know, <laughs> preserve planet Earth. Uh, so I think it's just, you know, we all need to do a little better. Um, so I wanted to highlight the game changers out there. Damn, yo. Amari be reading everybody in her little segment. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, even 16-year-old Greta, she'll read you too. I didn't know that. That was actually really good because you make an excellent point. Like, we think about climate change we automatically think about a bunch of white people, but there's black people saying that too. So Yeah, Yeah, like, you know, the fires that are going on in Australia and you know, all the all the things that we're seeing is a lot of white people. But I'm like, is anyone concerned about the aboriginals? Like, who are in a lot of rural areas with lack of resources? Like, how are they doing? That's so funny because mm. that was, like, the first thing I thought about while, um, like, while just reading up on what's going on in Australia. My first thought was, like, how are the native people there? Because mm-hmm. I know that they have far less resources than you know, the white people that live there. And I think that was really at the forefront of my mind because I recently watched this movie. I cannot remember the name of it. Comment if you remember on our socials from my description and maybe you guys will know it, but it's about um, this 
white woman during like, you know, when English people moved over to Australia and this white woman, her entire family gets killed and then she goes on this revenge thing. And she, does this sound familiar to you guys at all? Not to me. And she partners with this aboriginal man who calls himself Blackbird. She basically forces him to help her track down these white men to get revenge on them. And the entire movie is kind of about their relationship and how she's like, I want to get revenge But she simultaneously is looking down on this native who is helping her. And he's just kind of like, white people have come to my land and killed my people, separated us, stole our land. And you guys disrespect it, too. So it just Mm -hmm. it it was very interesting movie. Um, It made me angry while simultaneously making me think. Um, But yeah. Yeah, I didn't even know about, I mean, I feel like a lot of Americans don't even know the history of Australia and how there's, like, black Australians. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. And how, I don't know if most, I don't know if you could say all, but many of the white people in Australia came to Australia because they were um, English criminals. So, basically, in England, they were like, you know, Hmm. you have a choice. Either you stay in jail or you can move and help us populate this continent. Sorry, guys. Kia is blowing her nose. Um, Yeah, we can hear. (laughs) Yeah, it's very loud, actually. Oh, shit. Um, So that's just a little uh, history tidbit. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah, sorry. Climate change is important. People don't care, especially, you know, we're talking about, you know, immigration and all that stuff. You you guys, I don't think people realize the level um, that climate change is going to bring when it comes to refugees. We're going to have climate change refugees Mm -hmm. because people are, there's not going to be room to, like, you can't live in your place. So I think people need to really rethink and care about the environment. Completely agree. It's important to recycle. Yeah. (laughs) Use reusable straws. Stop using single use of plastic. Stop flying private jets. Reusable water bottles. Yes. Uh My parents, my family keeps on making fun of me. They keep on calling me like the green, um, the green police or whatever, because I'm always like commenting on the way they keep policing. Well, somebody need to do it. I do that too. We all die. And I'm I always like, blame Black the boomers. Safe. We ain't safe. Literally, <laughs> this weekend it's going to be sixty something degrees. That's ridiculous. It's That's January. Degrees in Atlanta. That's not normal. That's like not okay, no. folks. It's January. Like this is not a good thing. But anyway, yeah. on to our topic. <laughs> yes, on to our next topic. So this this episode we're talking about moving between black and white spaces. Um, I was really. I thought about this a lot during um, the holiday season because I went back home and I, you know, granted Chapel Hill is white as hell, but it, it, it was weird going back home and entering these spaces where I was the only black person or it's like me and my sister are the only black people at a bar and like being very aware of it and feeling uncomfortable in our own hometown. Um, so I thought it would be a good, you know, we should really discuss this because we've all like had to go back and forth between um uh, white spaces. Uh, so do you guys like have any general feelings on that? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I honestly, Amari, I had a very similar experience um, as you. I mm-hmm. recently, I think this is when I went home for Thanksgiving break and I was out with my friend Kaylee. Shout out to you. I love you, babe. Um, <laughs> and she 
is white. Um, and we just were like, all right, let's go to a speakeasy, have a little night. Then after that, we can go to a bar. And we were, I think we were in, at the Chapel Hill area. Um, no, Tip Hill. We were at Tip Hill. I was like, wait, I was like, is there a Chapel Hill area in Syracuse? I lied. I'm bugging. Um, we were at Tip Hill, which is, it's like right near Syracuse University, kind of. It's like that Irish going out area in Syracuse. And we went to an Irish bar and I'm pretty sure I was the only black person in the bar. And it got to a point where me and Kaylee were just standing there and she looks at me and she was like, I'm so sorry. I just realized that I probably took you to the whitest thing imaginable. She was like, I'm not even comfortable here. Damn. And I was like, yeah, because living in Brooklyn, it's like, I, like I'm in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, which still mm-hmm. has its own issues with gentrification. But it's mm-hmm. like I look around and my neighbors are still predominantly of color. So it's like being back in that environment was like, wow, I'm I'm not comfortable in this anymore. And it's mm. just crazy to think about there was a time where I was I was never 100 percent comfortable, but there was a time where I was more comfortable in those areas. And now it's just like, get me out of here. This is weird, mm-hmm. weird, mm-hmm. weird, weird. So, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. My sister and I were at a, a speakeasy, too, and I saw a lot of people like I wasn't prepared for it from high school and I kept on like thinking about going and talking to them and I just noticed I was like man all the people I used to hang out with in high school were white and I just don't feel comfortable talking to them and I'm like also like I have nothing to talk to them about like I don't like it sounds bad like I didn't I mean, I don't care about like necessarily what they're doing. I don't necessarily know that they care. And there's just like this whole disconnect. Like I couldn't relate to them then, but I also had no choice but to relate Mm -hmm. because I was in a white environment. So I had to, I had to do that. And now I just like, don't feel a pull to put myself in these situations that are uncomfortable to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like that in, in college, um, just coming from a predominantly black neighborhood and going to a predominantly black um, community college and then transferring to Hofstra University, um, like everybody in my class was like white. And I didn't know how to like interact with those students because I just didn't, I didn't grow up around them. So um, I just mainly stayed to myself. It's always for me, um, it's always going to be like a weird feeling, you know, being around that space because of just what I'm used to, you know, and not being able again, like to relate to those who were my peers. It's just, it's just different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't even think about this until you mentioned it. Amari on our phone call, like going through, like from a predominantly black space to a white space. Um, I also went home for the holidays, majority white town school. I guess I've been going back for so long that I'm just like, okay, this is my home, but it still kind of feels weird that this is my home. Um, sorry, I'm still congested. Um, but I went back to my high school. Um, after like six years of going there because there was like an alumni event uh, with the coaches and stuff. And it did feel weird, like going back. It was like I was looking at my sister 
because it was like me and my sister, like our mixed friend. There's not a lot of us, um, but we were just sitting in the bar that everyone goes to. And I never go to this bar because like I don't want to see people from high school in it. That's pretty white. But I was just like, my sister, like, yo, we really grew up here. Like, it, it just mm-hmm. felt weird because it's like mm-hmm. you think about where your hometown is. And I'm like, this, I still love my town because I've been there for 20 years. Well, you know what I'm saying? Um, it's my home. But I'm like, wow, it's so weird that we like grew up in this rural ass town. And like we experienced so much here. And like it's such a huge part of like who I am. And like if I grew up anywhere else, I would be a different person. Not per se like a batter good thing but it's just like weird to think about like i really lived in this town for like 15 years and my parents are still here and i this is my home it's really really crazy to go back to go back and like look around like oh my god and to even to realize how small it all is yeah because like i drive past i'd say the first moment like i had this aha this realization really was like I was coming in from Hofstra. No, no. This was after I moved to New York, actually. And, like, I was just driving home, and I realized that my elementary school is across the street from my high school. Like, they're across the street from each other. And that's in Mm -hmm. walking distance from my house that I grew up in, the only house I've ever lived in. And it's, like, it's just so (laughs) small. You go to Wegmans, everyone knows each other. Yeah, you go to mm-hmm. ShopRite, that's a high shopping. school reunion. Yep, it's a high school reunion. you always run into someone. Yeah. But do you guys feel like because you, I don't know, more so, Rachel, you could talk about your experience, but um, but if you guys feel like because you grew up in these spaces, like you see the world almost like in a better view. Like, you, you know, in 2016, everyone's like, people in New York live in a bubble and the coast are in a bubble and they don't see how middle America is and that's why we lost the election blah 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 but I feel like I never felt that way because I grew up in a quote unquote like rural America town and like I feel like it it has like opened my eyes to a lot of shit I probably wouldn't have realized until like maybe later later on in my life well I mean I think yes and no because I also think it's fair to say that um rural America lives in a bubble because everyone I grew, everyone I grew up around thought the same way, you know, uh, <laughs> looked the same way, had similar beliefs. Um, and I mean, I think it, 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 it I thought, I think it, it mean it forced me to realize, um, that there's, uh, I don't know that there's just like always going to be a difference or a disconnect. And I think that's like, good to know uh earlier on and also like it prepared me for the real world because when i go out in the work environment it's predominantly white and i'm forced to interact with white people a majority of my time so i think it's like it was (laughs) training you know to go out so i'm not necessarily it's not as big of a culture shock when i step into these certain spaces do i like it no but do i know how to function within them yes which leads us to a a big thing that I want to talk about, which is code switching and just something that you have to do when you move between these spaces, you know, with work, with even friends. Um, Like, how do you guys code switch? Um, I think I I code switch without knowing I'm code switching, I guess, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even think I was, it's funny. I didn't think I was capable of code switching until someone, a friend told me that someone had pointed out to her 
that I spoke to one of our black friends differently than I spoke to everyone else. And I was like, do I? And then I was like, you know what? I do. But it's also because I don't have to have this freaking facade and I don't have to be so like uptight and kept and like, you know, make sure that my grammar is perfect. God forbid I sound inarticulate at any point. Yeah. Um, So there's, I think there's a level of comfortability that comes with code switching, but it's also just like, I walk on the street and I acknowledge every black person I see. It's just something I don't know. It's your subconscious. Like, yeah, yeah, it is. It's like naturally like your mind and your body telling you like act a certain way about around these people act a certain way around another people. I didn't even realize, you know, a lot about code switching until this year, honestly, between like conversations and this podcast. Like I was like, oh, damn. I do that. But I'm glad I'm not the only yeah. one because sometimes I'm like, yeah. damn, am I the only one that does that? Yeah. And Is I'm, that me? Do you guys feel like you're being fake at all? You do? I used to feel like that sometimes, yeah. I don't necessarily know if it's fakeness. Like, my gut thing is to agree with you. Yeah. But then it's like, this is something I need to do to survive. Okay. You know? That's and it's a coping mechanism. It's a coping or like a survival mechanism. tactic. Yeah. And I do think that I've been lucky enough to get a job at a very millennial company that kind of values you being yourself, but still in many ways there are still like code switching aspects of of that. Although mm-hmm. like my everyday environment is a little bit more loose and liberal, it's still like still have to do that just to survive you have to play the game and it's sad that for black people for in order for black people to survive you have to play a game of Mm -hmm. not being yourself i think also in media it's interesting because it's like you want to do the code switching of like be professional but also if you want to get at least my experience there if you want to get like hosting opportunities or writing opportunities you have to have this unique view but it's like people don't think you have this unique view because you're trying to fit in there's yeah. like, you know there's a weird mm-hmm. disconnect in yourself where it's like okay well I can't get what I actually want because if I act the way and I say what I actually feel y'all will feel some type of way and fire me but if I don't say that I'm not going to get any opportunities because it's not unique enough or whatever. In another aspect like do you guys ever feel like it's performative kind of like you need to act like the entertaining black person in order to get certain opportunities or even to to like become friends with people do you guys ever feel I, that way i don't think i do no i don't think so either no i don't perform i don't think i, I don't think i ever uh used to perform i think where i used to get in trouble is that a lot of people expected me to be a certain kind of black person yeah and so yes. i made sure that I was not going to be exactly. And then in, in that process of trying to be who they didn't expect, I think I kind of lost certain aspects Mm. of myself. Mm. Um, just cause I was trying not to fit a stereotype, but like, Mm -hmm. but then there are also aspects of me that like, just don't fit a stereotype. So I'm just being me, but people don't understand it. It's yeah. I don't know. I I can honestly say I'm, I'm slightly ashamed of this, but early on I performed for the whites I, think, I did I think most people do because <laughs> yeah. I said for the whites for the whites I don't know why I just like that that phrase just like kills me but I continue I was definitely performing because I knew you know I'm already I already have a personality on me but I knew that in front of certain white people it's like this expectation for you to be vivacious, for you to have an attitude and also for you to be supportive and for you to listen and be the sidekick, basically. And that was a huge thing that I always 
felt was expected mm-hmm. of me. So mm-hmm. I found myself constantly in that role and kind of not shaking it. And I, I definitely had this moment a few years ago where I realized that that was happening because it was just like, once again, I had been in Brooklyn, out of white spaces. I was hanging out with my black friends, yada, yada, yada. And I was, you know, around white people again. And this guy, um, he's like one of my good white friends' brothers. He came up to me and automatically was like, mm, mm, mm. And oh, like, hell no. Did the finger snap. Nope. <sighs> and, you know, Janae, a few years ago would have laughed at him. Like would have been like, ha ha ha. Or, you know, would have did something to kind of diffuse. Mm -hmm. But Janae now just stared at him and said. Growth. I mean, that's growth. Yeah, no, that's (laughs) definitely growth. Because Janae now would just stared at him and was like, what is that? Like, yeah. Yeah, Janae, it's like when we went to um, the fair in Syracuse and the guy (gasps) at the game and we sat down was like, did he say, hey, sisters? Or he said something. Yeah. He was white. Yeah, he was white. Yes. And we just got up like, no, we're not paying for this. We're not playing this game. Yeah. 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 It was like, like, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wait, you guys were at a Syracuse basketball game or something? No, we were no, at the, the Syracuse State Fair. Fair. Which is the whitest, oh, most... Hit- yeah. I'm the, sorry. It's the great New York State Fair. Mm, I always wanted to go there, but it's okay because I got the Farmer's Fair in my town. <laughs> and, you know, that's all you talk know. about Same Hick, thing. that's Confederate flags everywhere. The so State I know. Fair is mm. very Hick, too. And I think it was like we were going to buy something or play a game. No, we Yeah, we were going to play a game. Yeah. And, and we didn't we, even sit down. Yeah. Right? We just like, like walked hey, up. Sister, yeah. and he was on a he was on the microphone uh-huh. too, like everyone kind of heard. <gasps> yep, he was like, and "My sister." Yep. Oh, yep. Take your no. money. Take your money. Yeah, yep. I was like, "No." I forgot about that, Rachel. Yeah, yeah. that happened. It was like, but no. Speaking of like, you know, um, like continuing on the topic, um, I had to force myself to be myself, mm. and I had to tell myself like, "You're quiet, you you're reserved, but you get your work done, and that's okay." and you're black like I had to tell myself that and there were some days I would just like beat myself down for like not like fitting in and being like the normal or being what they think like the normal black girl and how she acts and I had to like really like tell myself it's okay that you're who you are like it's okay as long as you do what you're supposed to do it's okay Mm. Mm -hmm. wow I wish I told myself that I feel like I yeah struggle a lot with that and high school I mean yeah. I feel like a lot of people in high school don't really know who they are and growing up in a white town doesn't help uh, but yeah I feel like I didn't really know myself until sophomore year of college I started being myself um, and for me that struggle I think about this topic I think about like dating I guess for me because I dated wait sorry wait sorry Kia before we go into the dating one can I just add to something that uh, Janae said that I think I'm just gonna forget yes mm-hmm. um is that Janae was talking about you know what it's like going back home and and like how you how how you feel when you go back home and something that I get I I personally get really sad about it because I wish I had some deep connection to my home like other people mm-hmm. do um and I feel like I don't have it necessarily because I don't feel a connection to the people there outside of my family and our Mm. family friends. I don't really talk to anyone from high school and it always makes me sad. My sister and I were talking about this because we see all the white people that we used to hang out with in high school who all still regularly get together and they always go home and have these like 
annual reunions together and hanging out together. And I just like, don't go back to that. And so I think with that, it's a feeling of like internal displacement because the place I was born, I don't necessarily feel like I belong to, or like if my parents weren't there, I wouldn't go back. So it's this continuous process of trying to find places in which you, um, you fit and like trying to like make a home. So I think that's something that I've been personally struggling with is that like, I feel like I'm continuously trying. I was like, so pulled to get out of Syracuse growing up because I just did feel like this was a home to me. And as an adult, I still feel like I'm struggling with trying to find that place for myself. How long were you at Syracuse? Like how many years happy? I was there. I was there for 22 years. Oh shit. I thought you were going to say something. That was deep, Amari. That was. That was (laughs) deep as hell. Wow. Do you feel like, do you think you would feel more like a hometown because of like the things in the town? I'm I'm trying to think because I feel like we've had similar growing up experiences, but I think about the hometown as like the different, I guess, places in the town. Does that make sense? I I know what you're saying, um, but I think like one of the things was like, I didn't necessarily actively participate in the things that went on in town like you know like the, the football games and like the fairs oh, okay. and stuff because these were yeah because these were all white spaces that I necessarily didn't feel like I had entered like yeah. literally when it wasn't the, the school week I was at home my ass was at home with my parents because I'm just like I need these two days to just like be in this space of my people before I have to go re-enter Sam, yeah that's a lot because I feel that's like I wanted a social life, so I forced myself to be in these white spaces. So after a couple of years, you're just like, that's all you know. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's the healthiest, but, you know, yeah. it happened. But I feel like similarly to I had very similar feelings to Amari. And like it was there was also like an element of my parents there where it was kind of like and this is no shade to them whatsoever. But like pe- kids in my neighborhood would be playing manhunt and my parents would be like, hell no, you ain't getting lynched tonight. So like, it Ooh, like a, damn, but a real reality. Home. But no, it's no, out it's, there it's a reality. Wh- my parents are like, you're the only black kid in this neighborhood. What happens when manhunt is done, and white people get sick of sick of manhunt? They gonna turn on you. And I I think that that was my parents being a, a tad overprotective and you know dealing with the things that they grew up with. Yeah. But that was also like a big reality where growing up it was just kind of like, you know. Don't yeah, I mean, don't like, don't hang out with the white people too much. You also can't be no black child, you know, walking home at night in a white neighborhood because although yeah. you've lived there for years, people will also be like, "Yeah, why are you here?" Like, um, when we first moved into our neighborhood, my dad and his friend, who was also black, were playing tennis on the neighborhood um, tennis court, and a neighbor called the head of the the. Uh, the neighborhood like association and said there are two strange black men playing on the tennis courts and so the head of the association went to the tennis courts to tell my dad and his friend to get off the course because they weren't supposed to be there and that man knew my dad because i was friends with his granddaughter so it doesn't matter like you can't even be comfortable where you live so no bevo is not my home syracuse is not my home i only go back because of my parents um and it's i don't know it's just something I've, i i continuously struggle with so aside from you know talking about like going home and being in those white spaces just this whole topic reminded me of um you know something that had been covered by i can never is it dubois or dubois which one is it people i don't know i've heard dubois yeah. i heard dubois okay. too i heard both 
right? So I think it just depends on what, if you're feeling fancy, you say Dubois. If you're not, if you're feeling American, you say Du Bois. Um, but yeah, so anyways, um, he wrote on double consciousness uh, when he first explored this concept in 1903 um, in his publication, The Souls of Black Folk. And it's just talking about, you know, what it's like um, when your identity is divided into several parts. So it like really makes it hard for you to feel like you're a unified person. Um, And, you know, I think about that often when I have to go, you know, from a white space to a black space. And like, you know, Janae said, you know, the act of code switching and not necessarily performing, but putting on a performance of some type in order to, uh, you know, survive in those spaces. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I, I just want people to know uh, it's re- his, uh, you know, his text on this is really interesting. And I, I, you know, surprisingly, I think I read it in high school by a teacher. Um, they gave it to, to me to read. Um, but I think it's, uh, if you have more time, you should definitely look into it more. Cause I think we can all as black folk, as people of color, we can all relate to that. Yeah, I didn't know about this until you blessed us with this topic. This information. Um, Yeah. So I was thinking about this in ways that I maybe, like, am not my full self. And at first I was talking about dating because I feel like, I don't know, I'm still figuring this out. Like, if I talk to a black guy, how do I act? Versus if I talk to someone that's outside my race. I feel like, for the most part, I'm definitely being myself. But it's like, what topics will come up on the first date with one person versus the topics that come up on a first date with another person. So I'm still trying to figure out, because I had this phase where I was like, okay, I don't think I could ever fully be myself with a white partner. Then recently I changed my mind on that. Um, (laughs) And now I'm still like, okay, wait, why did I feel that way before? Why is it different now? What does that mean? So yeah, that's a personal thing where I'd see the difference. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm still trying to figure that out. And definitely myself, but I'm like, yeah, what are the topics that, that I bring up with one type of guy versus another type of guy? And like, what topics should I be bringing up and what do I want to bring up? It's and, hard. Yeah. It's hard. And also, even if you have like a white per- a partner thinking about, okay, if I bring him around, you know, my group of white friends, he'll, he'll feel like fine but if i bring him to my family or family in the south like what is the uncomfortableness there uh like you know it's a different type of thing to think about yeah and i know like personally i've only really dated men of color so i'm like i I don't even know i mean i'm open to anything but like i don't i don't know what that would necessarily look like you know i don't i don't know excuse me what what things are nothing's off limits right i'm guessing but what do you bring up soon and what do you not bring up soon yeah and like how do you naturally be yourself because naturally i'm black as hell exactly everything i do is black you know i wear a headscarf to bed I'm not changing that. Yeah. Like, that's not going anywhere. But I also think you would be su- more surprised that people don't care. Like, guys don't care about that type of thing. And, like, it's not really a big deal. You if, you're, know, if you're messing with the right guy. I've, if, I've talked to men, well, that have been specifically, like, sometimes they'll be like, my girl's wearing a scarf. I wish she would just, you know, 
like put more what? put more in effort for him. Wait, effort? Who said that? Yeah. Every Just, night? Wait, some no. guy said that to you? Yeah, but like I don't know. I I I mean I'm still struggle no man has ever seen me in my scarf. I very much struggle really? with that. Um, can we talk yeah. about this? I know I need my scarf, but I don't there is there is this um yeah, I don't know. You sneak it on like when they fall asleep. No, my ass does not put it my okay. I don't put it on. So, so you, you be just have up your hair? hair. You just have frizzy hair then. I mean, I have frizzy hair, but like also I'm lucky enough with, I feel like sometimes that I can't you, you need to buy silk pillowcases then I, yeah, I do but the problem is when you're at the other person's place and okay, they all you. <laughs> no I mean, I mean smart but the, and, and that's just a big cultural thing like that's a big yeah. cultural thing black and that's women with other black people though too oh that's it oh, like that's no crazy. one if you got I a black mama, what? you should not expect any less. Yeah, you should know <laughs> yeah. what it is. But there are some black men who don't like black women like wearing a scarf to bed. That's cool. We could get rid of them. I that's know. Not the person you're <laughs> Go somewhere. With. Go somewhere. No, that ass. That's that's not the person. Like you have to also think about if you're thinking about long term partners, you're gonna be yeah. with this person forever. So I mean, yeah, they gotta see you. In the you scarf. gonna see them. So if they have a problem, that's not the person for you. Bye. <laughs> I know. I don't know. I'm weird. There's just like something weird about like I'm weird about myself in the bedroom with other people in general. So that I think there are time, very though. much layers that you have to like get through. I'll unpack this in therapy. I'm going on Friday, so uh, it'll be good. But it's okay because like you're not supposed to, you know, uh it takes time to, to open up to someone like that. Like, that's a really personal yeah. thing. Like, your nighttime routine. Like, yeah. you're not doing that in front of your friends and everyone. You know what I'm saying? So, that's mm-hmm. totally okay. That's true. But, yeah, that's what I've thought about. Yeah. Excited to see what my partner will look like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, but with the, the, the dating thing, it's interesting. I'm, I'm not necessarily going to... I'm not going to say never, I won't say like never date a white person. That's just like not my preference, but mainly also because, um, granted, even though I delete all my dating apps, one thing I definitely look for when I, when I was on dating apps, um, was their friends. And if they're, if it's a white person and all the people in their pictures are white, my ass ain't doing it. Mm. I'm not doing it because I definitely, I'm not going to lie. I do. If a majority of the people in your life are white, I just don't trust it. I just think there's something, there's something that I just don't trust about that situation. And I don't want to be the only black person stepping into that situation where I'm around you. It's one thing to be around you, but to be around your friends a lot and your family and they're all white, like that's a lot to me. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think if I have dated outside my race, they usually have friends that are people of color too, which helps. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It that's just, interesting. I didn't even think about that um, if you're looking at dating apps, but that's interesting. I look at friends too. Like, if I have girlfriends, I'm like, all your friends white. I'm like, mm, we need to unpack this. I'm like, mm. do y'all feel like you have to code switch with black people ever? No. Ah, uh, yes. I do. Certain black people, yeah. Like, you have to mm-hmm. sound more, quote unquote, more black or something. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Because I know oh. this is something we've oh. talked about five million times. I go into mm-hmm. black spaces and they're looking at me like I'm a light skinned freckled unicorn. So it's like I definitely have experience feeling like I need to put on a little bit more to validate my blackness in front of black people. 100%, yes. Yeah. So I, I, I think code switching goes 
it, it goes both ways, fam, in, in every aspect, in dating, in jobs, in friendships. It's like... Community, yeah. Yeah, no, I yeah. Agree. Community, too. Because, like, I, I even have friends that grew up in cities, and I know that their experiences with white people are limited. And sometimes I do feel kind of... I don't know. I, I feel different from them. Like for me, it's like a noted thing of like, okay, we didn't grow up the same way. So I wonder if you view me differently. I wonder if you automatically think that I'm bougie or privileged, which privileged. Yes. I don't think bougie, but I, I get what, I get what that. you're saying. I think people also automatically think about that, about you. Maybe when I say you and me too, because I feel like we have, we have the same skin <laughs> yeah. color and, upbringing so i think it's a that's another thing thing. yeah that's another thing to bring into it like we light bright yeah so i always that's just another factor like people automatically think of you you have a bunch of privilege you think you're better than everyone yeah and it's like whoa never hi no speak girl speak (laughs) no i mean i i think um i mean again colorism is just like a deep, deep, deep. There deep, is privilege deep. within oh, being oh. a light skinned black person. I'm not saying that's not a thing. There's privilege right. there. I'm I'm not I'm acknowledging that fully. I'm saying that we it's think- shown in the way that I'm treated by other black people that it's like people automatically treating me like I think that I'm that I, the best yeah. thing in the world and that I mm-hmm. think I am privileged and better than when it's like I acknowledge my privilege as a light skinned black girl. But mm-hmm. I try to move with the acknowledgement of my privilege. Yeah, right. I would have to agree. That's a whole other episode that we can talk about. Episode, but I mm-hmm. totally agree with what you're saying today. Like people, you could feel it. Like you can people feel think, it. oh, this bitch thinks she better than she's the cutest bitch in the here. Exactly. Da, da, da. And it's like mm-hmm. I haven't even said one word. Y'all don't know me, yeah. and also I probably do more for the community than you do. So if we want to get real, okay, sorry, that's Ooh, just <laughs> damn. That was a lie. Um, I'm just saying. I'm Rachel, just saying. Hey, as another, I mean, Rachel, do you view yourself as? Like light skin, I feel like people also. I feel like it's always like team light skin, team dark skin. But like also, we need to realize mm-hmm. that there's a whole spectrum of skin colors, oh, 100 um, and tones. Like, do you, have you like had similar experiences to like uh, Janae and Kia? Yeah, like people like automatically assume like just by, by how you carry yourself mm-hmm. and how you look, people are automatically going to have their going to judge you based on how you look. Mm-hmm. But I I never feel like I'm better just because of like my skin color um and i try not to move like that mm-hmm. but do people um, think you think that way yes people automatically think yeah, I think that okay. way and, That's what and, we're saying, and being yeah. quiet does not help at all either it doesn't sure. so. like literally i have been on dates with a guy before and he said you probably aren't that attracted to me because i'm dark skinned like, or I heard yeah, people I've say, had, I've had men say that to me too. Yeah. You look like you date white guys. Yeah. Or you've only, you mm-hmm. probably only dated white guys. And yeah. It's like, you don't yeah. know me or my dating history, nor have I come to you with that energy being like, you only date black girls. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, why would I, why would I say th- something like that? Like, I've literally ignored an old man who was trying to hit on me. <laughs> and then he yelled down the street, you light skinned bitch. Writing? You're just stuck up because you're light skinned. What? Mm-hmm. And it's like, what? And you uh-huh. still can't get with me, bruh. Sorry, that's yeah. automatic. It's it's just I don't know, but I mean I don't I can't relate to any of this. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, but I do I do think there are 
are different aspects of, you know, people that they use to like separate. Like, I feel like, um, I've noticed for whatever reason, a lot of people like to mention my parents' occupation. I don't mention it a lot, but a lot of people like to mention it. And then once it's mentioned, a lot of people come up with an idea of like who I am as a person and like the exposure I've had. Um, So I think that's kind of been like, you know, something that, you know, kind of like my parents' money is not my money. I have benefited from that, but that also does not like make me up as a person i feel like Um, that too i feel like not so my parents occupation but the house they live in and mm -hmm. the life they made for themselves i think people have this misconception that like i have a lot of money i come from a lot of money Mm -hmm. um but my parents had always told me like stories how people think they have a lot of money but really my parents are just good with handling money yeah so Mm -hmm. it's not like they make like billions of dollars or have master degrees or other degrees it's like they were good with handling money but from that people were like like even my wife friends they're like oh your parents don't help you out and it's like i've been paying for myself since 21 years old i've lived on my own moved out had a job at 21 and mm-hmm. i've never asked my parents for anything they like even when we go out to dinner like i pay my part like so people have this misconception like oh your parents must pay for everything because like the house they live in whatever but it's like mm-hmm. i pay for all my bills myself like and and you, like you don't know me like that so don't come with this misconception like oh she's privileged da 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 so yeah I, I totally get that too yeah I do I think that I think the core of all of this is that like again coming to judgments like judging people too quickly before you even get a chance to like speak with them or get to know them just based off of their physical attributes or certain you know status qualifications <laughs> um but yeah Wow. Oh, switching man. On that note, mm-hmm. Rachel, would you like to dive into the mental health? So on this segment of Time to Talk Mental Health, I'm going to give you guys a few tips on how to um, mentally prepare yourself when entering a new space. Um, and these are some of the things that has helped me. So number one, be yourself. There is no one else like you, so be you. Uh-huh. Uh, do as much research on the company or institute that you'll be joining. Um, start with positive intentions and take it one day at a time to learn and learn to be present. Process your emotions. Give yourself time to feel and recognize what you're going through. Learn from your peers and don't be afraid to ask questions. When meeting someone new for the first time, smile, give a firm handshake, and make eye contact. Let them know you are present with your body language. Have confidence in who you are and your skills. Know that you are a vital asset and what you bring to the table is important. Imposter syndrome is real. Remember where you came from and know you belong in that space. Entering a new space may not work out as planned. Uh, You thought it would be new and exciting. Turns out it's completely opposite. If this new space is mentally and emotionally draining, create an exit strategy that is professional and won't ruin your reputation. And to end, I'm going to end with a quote. What will life be if we had no courage to attempt anything? This is by Vincent Van Gogh. That's all. That's a good quote. Ooh. Um, moving on. We had Evelyn. 
right in. Hi, Evelyn. Shout out to you. Um, she's talking about um, making new friends, which is just wow. refreshing. Refreshing, mm-hmm. really, it is. I feel like that's a new space, new friends. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's all related. Yeah. Uh, she said, I've been living in NYC for about three years now. Over those three years, I'd say that I've been able to maintain a pretty healthy group of friends. There is only one problem, though. They're all in a relationship now. Every time we hang out, I find myself being the third, fifth, or even seventh wheel. How do I find new single friends so I won't have to be reminded of my single existence? Yikes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean... That's a good question. It, it, it is a really, really good question. And I think that this is something that all young people can ask themselves. Um, I, I think it comes to figuring out what you're interested in and getting involved in those things that you're interested in. I feel like there's two problems here. What are the or two, two problems? Maybe solutions more oh, so than problems. Okay. But um, I feel like the first one can maybe piggyback off you. Um, you know, we're all... Did you say how old she is? She's, she's probably like 25. She's around our age, yeah. Okay, so I feel like when you're hitting mid-20s, everyone's going through a different journey. Like, some people are ready to maybe settle down. Some people still want to party. Uh, your life is not always in the same path. So I think it's important what you said, figure out your interests and do your interests and meet people that way. Yeah. Um, also, suggestions, if you're a woman, hey, Vina, uh, Bumble BFF, meet up great ways to meet people in the city and also just do what you like and meeting people like you said but i feel like the first problem in this is like if you're constantly being the seventh fifth third wheel and you don't like it speak up about it because hmm. i feel like that can be okay maybe once or twice here and there it's like you have to understand okay your friends and relationship but if you were only seeing your friends with their significant other and you were the seventh wheel i don't give a f- like, I'm not being the seventh wheel. I'm sorry. That's not fun. Yeah. Like, and your friends have to be aware that your life is not their life the same way. You have to realize that. And I don't think it's fair to expect someone to be the seventh wheel because all y'all are in relationships. That's just not fair. I didn't think And it's think not about fun. That. And you have to... T- I, I had, I've had to tell my friends this. Yeah. Um, and I don't care. I'm like... Because if it was the opposite way around, y'all be feeling some type of way. And I would, I, first of all, I would never do that to you either. Yeah. Um, and I would also never only see you with my significant other. Yeah. I've never done that. I think it's weird that people have to bring their significant other all the time. I've been in a relationship for three mm-hmm. years and I literally have never done that. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, speak up about it if it bothers you. Yeah. And I actually think that you were telling me about this frustrating situation of, you know, all of your friends at one point were in relationships and every time you guys are doing something they're like oh so and so we would only talk about that yeah and yeah like when i had was in a situation ship i was asking like rachel and amari is this annoying that i bring him around because like i didn't want to be that person who's like always bringing their significant other around and it's like you just want to hang out with your man and your friends at the same time but also you can sometimes have that blind spot and ignore the fact that maybe your friends don't want to be with you and your man, maybe they just want to be with you. Yeah. You know, so I do, that is really good advice, Kia, is just straight up saying like, hey, I want to hang out with you this weekend. Or like, can you and I just have a girl's night out or something like, like that? Like you said, it might be a blind spot. Yeah. So uh, they might not know that they're doing it or the effect on you but I think the only way they will know is if you say something and if they're a good friend they won't take offense to that and if you say it in the correct way like hey X, Y, and Z instead of kind of like you do this like accusatory Mm -hmm. yeah I think it could all work out yeah at this 
I agree with everything that's been said because, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm perpetually single, so it's always annoying um, <laughs> when yeah. I'm continuously the only single person around coupled people. But I also do admire people. And I have an aunt who uh, will sometimes just come to parties by herself without a date. I mean, she's in a relationship, but she'll come by herself and everyone's coupled up. And she has the most fun time ever. And I really want to be on that level where I can Same. remain unbothered. Uh, by the fact that I'm the only single person amongst a whole big bunch of people who are coupled. Um, I think that is the uh, the level I would like to get at. So I understand the frustration, but I do think they're... One, your friend should understand that you should be able to have time with them separate from their significant others. But if you can't, I think it's also, you know, um, try try to sometimes make it work and maybe you'll you'll have fun. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's all about balance. Definitely. Like, you have to understand, like, life is a little different for your friend that's in a relationship now, but they also shouldn't have their whole life changed. Yeah. And I don't think, I think it's unfortunate if you feel like you can't, the only thing you could talk about with your friends is relationships and yeah. you're like, what the hell? Oh, yeah, no. If you can't talk about your, with your friends anything other than relationships, yeah. Like, you yeah, deserve to be prioritized. That's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> that's not a friendship. <laughs> yeah. Right. Also, you know, get new friends. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always for getting new, meeting new people and getting new friends. I think a lot of people think they have to have the same set friend group by a certain age. And it's like, there's always a way to meet new friends, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's this new realization that I'm coming to with like a lot of my friends moving to different places is that everything is, is everything has a time limit, really. Yeah. So like the, the people that you're friends with now might not be the people that you're, you know, always hanging out with or seeing or even friends with in five years yeah but i hope we're all gonna be friends still we will (laughs) i hope so too that wasn't meant to be like morbid or something it's just no i know you're saying saying. it's true yeah (laughs) (laughs) i think about that quote a lot i just think about that today how like you know all good things come to an end and whatever yeah but then i think about Mm -hmm. marriage do you guys think mm-hmm. like because okay all things are supposed to come to an end but like yeah but, marriage should come to an end but but yeah but the, I honestly because I'm like I'm confused the because it's like good relationships come to an end but like what about marriage that doesn't come to an end it comes to an end in death it comes to an end someone dies yeah yeah but or I, you divorce but yeah. I think like the the main issue is like there's hard parts of marriage here and there but it's like if all of my good interactions truly come to an end how am i going to get to the marriage part if it comes to the end before the marriage that's but just me i don't think not all i don't think not consistently all, for me it has so that's why i thought about that <laughs> i don't think all relationships come my to an kid. end i know right? <laughs> i don't think all relationships come to an end i think they ebb and flow because like for example my friend kaylee feel like i'm always talking about her on this podcast she and i have literally known each other since sixth or seventh grade but we have never been as close to each other as we are like right now or like within the Mm -hmm. past i would say three years we've known each other forever but like there were times where we didn't really talk as much didn't hang out and now she and i are texting literally every day and that's going to change again when i don't know we move to different places get new jobs get into relationships like that's going to change i agree because i have gone through that but i'm talking about i guess i think it's different when you have a romantic partner because a romantic mm. partner you can't be like okay for the next six months we ain't texting each other yeah. okay, or we yeah, ain't seeing each other yeah. you know what I'm saying yeah. like it's different because you have to consistently put that energy into uh, this person 
to build the relationship. That's just something I was just thinking about this morning. Is like, monogamy uh, real? You know, I don't know. No. <laughs> No. Let us know it's so called our episode. Yeah. This just took a turn. Yeah, because that's like a whole another episode. I'm not sure anymore because I was literally G chatting a friend about this today about how all men cheat. So it's like you know, I (laughs) you know, we're all supposed to get into relationships eventually and be happy and ride off to the sunset, but what happens when a few years down the line he get bored and cheat on you? I'm going to cheat on you. Or what happens when the copier boy is sexy and you like, wow, my husband has a beer gut now. Mm. Like, what happened? Cheat on him 2020. I'm kidding. Cheat on him 2020. <laughs> cheat That's our on him. Cheat, cheat on him. Hey, cheat. <laughs> okay. Okay, guys. We should wrap it up. <laughs> We're tired and delirious. <laughs> we really are. Um, cheat on him 2020. <laughs> Here, do you Black women do cheat. Oh, yeah, I do it. <laughs> I do have a shout out. Oh my god, I've never cheated. I don't know why I'm saying that. Um, cheat on him first, though. Okay, anyway, so the shout out segment is uh, my friend Bacola. This is a girl I mentioned on this podcast before. Ricola? Bacola. Uh, She's Nigerian. Ricola. I did did it on purpose. I knew exactly what you said, but I did it on purpose because it's just so close. I'm sorry, girl. You people have probably said stuff about you. I'm sorry. She's Nigerian, as you can tell from the name. Bacola, my Nigerian friend. I'm 40% Nigerian. What's up? Okay, anyway. (laughs) Um... Yeah, she's dope. We've grown up high school together. Had a lot of like shared experiences. I talked about today. Uh, only black people in the, the damn school. Um, so I've known her forever. We're super close. She's in New York now. Um, one of my best friends. Bridesmaids material. She has a wonderful YouTube channel called The Come Up. Please look it up. This girl's already got like over a thousand subscribers in oh. six months. Has views twenty k views on her videos. She is an engineer. Um, didn't go to school for engineering, so made a you know a name for herself in engineering. Um, and she has talks most about finance. So we we're talking about want to get better in our finances and finances mm-hmm. for Black people. She's a Black woman talking about finances, and um, she's helped me a lot. She's helped me opening um, a new account on Capital One, two accounts on Capital One that have generated automatic um, savings for me. So yeah, I just think her channel is really cool. You could look her up on Instagram or YouTube. The Come Up with Bacola Iodelli. Yes, yes. Don't cheat on your man. <laughs> I need to know her secret. I need those followers. So no, no, definitely, definitely look yeah. look it up. Um, she's done a great job, and she edits her video herself and everything. It's really amazing. Cool. Okay, well, that's all for this episode, guys. Thanks for sticking with us um, and for listening to this week's episode. So please, as always, follow us on all social media at So Called Oreos. You can also email us at So Called Oreos at gmail.com. Uh, you can listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, and Google Play. And please remember to like, rate, subscribe, and leave a review. That's all for now, folks. Bye. Bye. Hashtag cheat on him 2020. Cheat on him 2020. I should go on our merch. I'm serious. Oh, we should do it. We should do it. Did you say black men cheat? No, I said um, hashtag black women do. I said black women do cheat. (laughs) 
because you because yes. you know that Twitter thing that black was popping that cheat. black men don't cheat. Yeah, which there they should do. be a black women cheaters. do cheat. Like we cheat back, bro. What's up? We cheat back. <laughs> we cheat first. <laughs> we cheat first. Cheat on him first. We cheat first, but nah. you don't know we cheat. Yo, we ninjas, we cheat, cheat ninjas. 